0: Well, here's the deal. Pastor Chad, um, the other Pastor Chad, is uh, one of my favorite preachers in the world. And one of the values that we have at Cornerstone is that we know that we need to hear from multiple voices because everyone brings something to the table. And so we need to grow. We need to learn and hear the gospel and the truths about what it means to belong to Jesus together through different voices. And so Chad is on our preaching teaching team Pastor Chad Jordan, and he's one of the most, um, not only just a dynamic guy, but he's one of my closest friends, and it's an honor to welcome Pastor Chad Jordan. If you can give it up for Chad as he comes and brings the word this morning. Thanks, buddy. I meant most of it. Yeah, right, yeah. Can't watch out for the lightning bolts, right? In church... Well, I love you, Pastor Chad, and I love all of y'all. Can we do two, two things real quick? First, if you have a phone, I want to see it. I want to see your phone. Why do you think I want to see your phone? Because if I see it, you can see it, and if you can see it, you can just turn that little button to vibrate for me, all right? Oh, look at you guys. You got them trained right, doing something right around here. Um, the other thing, I know we just sat down. Could you stand with me so we can pray? Well, Heavenly Father, one of the beautiful mysteries of your goodness and your grace is that you can take the blood of a cross that's intended for everybody and you can apply it to me. And you can take the words of scripture that are meant for everybody and you can apply it to me. And you can take a message that's intended for everybody and apply it to me. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would do that today and that we'd open our minds and our hearts to all that you're up to in Jesus' name. Can I get an amen? amen. All right. Well, uh, I got, um, I hope you don't mind, I got a couple props today. Is that cool? Uh, we had, um, anybody know what this weekend wa- is or what yesterday was? Men's breakfast, I like it, okay. You got to get the plug for the men's breakfast, okay? What else? Mexican Independence Day. I'm wearing a Mexican soccer jersey. And the question that I have for everybody today is, if I use the word bench warmer, you know what I'm talking about? Anybody in here ever been a bench warmer in your life? Now, don't put your hand up if you were a starter and you came in for a break because you were so tired from dunking on people's faces that you got to sit on the bench every once in a while. I'm, I'm looking for people that are legitimate bench warmers. Are there any legitimate bench warmers in here? Come on. Now, for those of us that are bench warmers, by the way, if you don't know, to know what a bench warmer is because you started the whole time and you never came out and all of that, your last name is Bohai. A bench warmer is someone who makes the team, barely, right? They made the team because you have to have a certain number on the roster in order for the team to count. They, they made the team, but they're watching the games from the sidelines. And that defines my, most of my career as a soccer player, especially through high school, especially through my junior year of high school at Cabrillo, Lompoc representing, all right, Conks, Conks for Christ, that's what we were known as. I, I was, when I would get the lineup from the coach, you know how the coach would assign, you know, positions, especially in soccer, and he would assign, all right, so uh, Bohai, you're going to be left forward, all right, Zimmerman, you're going to be left fullback, Jordan, you're going to be left out, And then sometimes he'd switch it. He'd switch it to the right, and it'd be uh, okay on the right side today. We're, we're going to have Andrew. He's going to be playing right striker, and, and, and then we're going to have Ricky. He's going to be playing. He's going to be playing right defense. And Chad, you're going to be right there, right here, right there, right, right here is where you're going to be on the bench. And so for me. Going through high school, especially, like I said, my junior year, our team was really good. We went to CIF finals. It was amazing, and there were four subs on the team. One of their last names was Jordan, so there were three other guys, and we affectionately called ourselves, because there were four of us, the Quad Squad. We were the Quad Squad. It helped, I was a Christian, so some people sometimes called us the God Squad. That was fine, too, but we were the Quad Squad, and it was our job to do this. All right, yeah, you go, guys. Woo! Keep going, keep going. It was our job to be on the bench, to cheer on the team, and to learn a few things from the sidelines. We would often talk as members of the the quad squad, as bench warmers, about what we would do if we were in the game, about how we would have taken that play, and we probably would have scored, to be honest. (laughs) You know, we we wouldn't have let that goal go in if we were in, no, no way. We, we were learning from the sidelines on how to play as a team. But for whatever reason, we put in all the work, we put in all the effort. We would stay late after practice and practice even harder than the starters. We would not get in. And so some of us were tempted to blame the coach. The man is keeping us down, you know, this guy. Sometimes we would blame the starters and, and think that they were after us. I remember in the CIF final, uh, we were losing, but the team was tired. It was, it was uh, uh, getting ready to, the game was getting ready to be over. We had one guy that was injured and doing this, the whole on the field. And so the coach looks over to the quad squad. We all get up. We think we're getting ready to go in. And the guy that's injured is saying, no, I can play through it. Don't put them in. Don't put them in. I can do it. I can do it. <laughs> we lost that game, by the way. I will have you know. I, I, so what I want to ask you today being a bench warmer, having to learn from the sidelines, does that relate to anybody? You put in all the work, all the effort. I'm not talking about sports. I'm talking, maybe in your career, you are, you're trying, you're trying to get ahead. You're trying to get advanced. You're trying to get promoted and you see other people going ahead of you because you're just watching from the sidelines. Maybe, maybe it's in your marriage. Maybe you see other good marriages and you see that them happening. In fact, they're happening on Facebook, right? The, they're taking a picture at the beach, a selfie, and then she or he, they go, I just love him so much, I'm so glad I found the love of my life. Right, and they're at, they're at the beach and there's this, this wonderful scene and they post about how, they don't post about the fight they had before they got to the beach or anything like that. But, <laughs> right, you see that and your heart yearns for something. You wish you and your spouse could communicate. You wish, you wish your spouse would, would love on you like that. May, maybe it's the opposite, maybe you're single. And you're watching marriages from the sidelines. Maybe you go to the beach and it's, hey, the person I love the most, here's my selfie of just me, found, found the person of my dreams, apparently. You're a bench warmer. Maybe, maybe it goes beyond that. Maybe spiritually you feel like you're a bench warmer, like you're just learning from the sidelines, like... You know, everybody else is advancing. You see Pastor Chad and Emily and Veronica and Patrick. We got a drummer today. You see them and they're going for it. And you just don't feel that connected to God. You you feel like... You know, no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try, you can't get close to God. Something is not working. You're not in the mix. You're not doing what you feel you should be doing, or you don't feel like God is doing for you what. He, and, and, and so we're tempted when we get advanced in, the, in our career, we're tempted to turn to our boss and say, the man is keeping me down. But when we're, we're tempted also then spiritually... When we're not going as far or seeing as much advancement as we want spiritually, we're tempted to think God is keeping us down, like somehow God is holding back from us or holding us back from something. And what I want you to understand today is that no matter what you're going through, no matter what, your, what, your, uh, what pain you've endured, no matter what struggle you've had, whether it's been in your career or in marriage or your family or uh, your, your spiritual life, what you're striving for is not pointless. What you're going through is not pointless. In fact, today, one of the main lessons that I want you to understand is this. Your strain is not in vain. do, Do me a favor. Turn to somebody. Tell them your strain is not in vain. Now, just so to make sure they're still awake, because I know I've been going for about five minutes, just shake them a little bit and say, hey, I said your strain is not in vain. What, What you are doing, what you are learning from the sidelines is not going to be wasted. Just because you're not starting or you haven't advanced or you're not as far along as you think or had hoped you would be by now does not mean it's all been a waste. God has a very good purpose for you. As someone who has been there and done that, or should I say is there and is doing that, I need you to understand today that your strain is not in vain. Come on, say that again for me. Your strain's not in vain. You know... Throughout Scripture, we, uh, we catch a glimpse of what God is willing and what God is able to do. Some of God's finest work has been when he's called people in from the sidelines. Do you realize that? You know, God, God called Noah to build an ark and save humanity from the sidelines. God called Abraham to be the father of many nations from the sidelines, God called Joseph out of betrayal, out of slavery, out of bondage, and into the palace from the sidelines. God called Moses to be a deliverer from the sidelines. God called Joshua to be a conqueror, strong and courageous from the sidelines. God called Rahab to save her family from the sidelines. Some of you that have family that need to save, and you need to hear that. God called Ruth. To find a husband from the sidelines. Some of you that are single need to hear that. God called David to be a king and a giant killer from the sidelines. God called Esther to be a queen from the sidelines. God called Elisha to be a prophet, a double portion. Guess what? From the sidelines. You know, God, God called Jonah out of the mouth of a big fish from the sidelines. God called Daniel out of the mouth of lions from the sidelines. Do we have time? Can I go to the New Testament? God, God called a virgin, engaged virgin, to be the mother of God from the sidelines. God called a man wearing camel's hair and eating locusts to be the forerunner of the Messiah from the sidelines. God called Peter, James, and John to be fishers of men, Where? From the sidelines. God called Zacchaeus out of that tree from the sidelines. God God, God called Mary Magdalene out of spiritual bondage from the sidelines. Uh, Let's see, who else? Uh, God called Lazarus from the dead from the sidelines. God called a thief on the cross into paradise from the sidelines. God called Saul, Paul, from the sidelines. And God so loved the world that he called on his son... To step out of the bounds of time and space and eternity. To step out of the lines, if you will, and come from heaven to earth so that we can go from earth to heaven. God knows what he's doing with you. God is knowing what he's going to do with you. God has a plan for you, and it might just involve you learning something from the sidelines. Can I get an amen? So. So no matter how buried on the sidelines you might feel right now, God knows what he's doing. He is able to refine you and perfect you and call you from the sidelines. Don't give up. Don't quit. There are lessons to learn. Where? From the sidelines. I know for me as a soccer player, especially in high school, I used to watch the game. Yes, me and the quad squad, we would watch the game. We would imagine ourselves in those same situations. We would run the plays in our mind. And we knew that if we ever got the chance, oh, my goodness, watch out. There was going to be some scoring up in here, all right, because we were going to go wreck it. What, What did you call it, ballers? I don't know what they're called in soccer. It's not ballers. But we knew that if we ever got our chance, we would make the most of it. We'd not waste what we were learning from the sidelines, so today. I think there are three things we need to know about the sidelines, about learning from the sidelines. I know I just rattled off a bunch of famous people from the Bible. If you know who each of them was, God bless you. As Pastor Chad says, you get a gold star, right? We should print. You know what? Let's print gold stars and start handing them out when people actually know stuff. All right, let's do that. But maybe, maybe you don't know each of those stories. Maybe I mentioned some names that you never heard of them before. You can't really relate to them. Maybe you don't know the Bible that well. Pastor Chad talked about that's one of the intimidating things about coming to church. Not only do you not know people, but sometimes you don't know the Bible that well, and are they gonna talk just about things that you do know or don't know? So so instead of the normal Bible stories today that many of us know about, I thought I'd introduce someone from the Bible that very few people actually know know about. He's a man by the name of, anybody ever heard of this guy? Bezalel. Bezalel. Any gold stars? We got any gold stars? Bezalel. All right. Mo knows Bezalel. Bo knows baseball. Mo knows Bezalel. We got it. it. The story of his life is actually pretty fascinating. We don't get a lot of it, But he is a fascinating individual in the Bible. You'll see why in a minute. See, in a minute. He he was a man who knew a thing or two about learning from the sidelines. And unlike other people in the Bible, we, we actually don't even see his struggle. What I mean by that is we don't see him appear on the scene until he's an actual starter, captain of the team, if you will. All the other people I mentioned, Noah, Abraham, all those guys, Literally every single one of them, we know something about their struggle. We know something about their pre-existing conditions, their challenges, but not Bezalel. He just appears almost out of nowhere. But the cool part of his story is that you literally have to read from the sidelines and between the lines to find the struggle and to learn what he discovered. Because listen, he's only mentioned in one book of the Bible. And even then, he's only mentioned a handful of times but he certainly maximizes his playing time. We read about him in the book of Exodus. Now let me set the scene for you before we we dive into the scripture. The children of Israel have just left Egypt where they've been what? What have they been in Egypt? Gold stars. Slaves. Slaves. Anybody know for how long? 400 years. And as a tribe, Israel, See, they originally were one big family. They uh, originally migrated to Egypt as relatives of a national hero, a national treasure. But over time, as their population increased, Egypt's starting to get a little freaked out that there's going to be so many Israelites that they're going to outnumber the Egyptians and overtake the country. So the pharaoh at the time thinks, aha, I'll come up with an idea. We'll enslave these guys and their families to forced labor. We'll give them horrible living conditions. We'll even slaughter their baby boys, commit genocide against them to prove that they're slaves. But as most of you know, God raised up a deliverer. We talked about him briefly. His name was Moses. And he goes to Pharaoh, and he says these famous four words. What were they? Let my people go. We are out of gold stars already. I mean, holy smokes. How many plagues had to hit Egypt? Ten. Ten takes 10 plagues for this thick-hearted, hard-hearted Pharaoh to finally relent and let Egypt as a nation had finally had enough and said to Israel, all right, go on, get out of here. Go worship your God, you're free. Now, the Egyptians, they were so happy to be getting rid of the Israelites by this point that they actually shower them with gold and silver and jewels and diamonds. Oh, it's almost like back pay, if you will, for all the years that they did Let me me say something. Anybody ever have some in-laws that overstayed a welcome during the holidays? (laughs) Now you know how to get rid of them. You just bust out the gold and the diamonds, throw it at them, and they'll go. It worked for Egypt. Now, while on the journey to the promised land that God desired to give them, Israel comes to know God and know the ways of God. It's actually beautiful. If you read Exodus, you're going to love it. It's for the first time since creation, really, that God begins to reveal himself to an entire people group, an entire nation. And as Israel comes to know him, God intimately reveals himself to Moses. He begins to, if you read Exodus, he begins to give him laws and structure. There were no laws. There was no structure nationally anywhere on the planet until God gives it to Moses. And one of the things that God established was how the Jewish people We're going to worship God, how they could approach God and atone for their many sins. Think about this, God had never revealed himself in such detail to mankind really before, but with Moses and the people of Israel, he lays out all these ways mankind could appropriately worship God, how a sinful man could even approach a holy God. He gives them, God gives them the blueprints for a tabernacle in which they can sacrifice and enter his presence. He gives them all this great content And one thing was for sure, the articles of worship that would be made for the tabernacle, they could not be amateurish works of art. Anyone in here have small kids? Yeah? That make, or grandkids that make artwork? It looks kind of like this, right? Let me ask you, what do you do with this? Give me some ideas. What do you do with this? (laughs) Do not say trash. This is being recorded, and your kids, if they hear you blurt out. What are some things that you do with this? refrigerator. How come nobody said, oh, we go hang this in the Louvre Museum or in the Getty or some gallery? Why? Because it's only precious to you, right? Other people are not going to get it, right? This is as lovely as it is, as important as it is to me as a dad, it's amateurish, all right? So think about this on the level of God instructing the people of Israel to make him some things. Not some things that he would just hang on his refrigerator, all right, but something that he could show off to the world, something that would, would reflect a little bit of what his glory is like. But th- see, this would be the first time mankind received instruction from the creator of the universe on how to revere him. So they had to get it Right? They had to go all out. They, and so all of the instruments of worship, they needed to be expertly built and crafted. There's a, they needed to be overlaid with, with gold and jewels. But there was only one problem. You ever seen the route from Egypt to Israel? What, what is it? Gold star. Desert. There's some things missing in a desert. Water. Food. Especially meat. Check out, you know, book, you know, numbers. We'll talk about what Israel does for me. Um, You know what else is missing? A K's jeweler. There's no every kiss begins with K in the desert. There's no he must have gone to Jared's Galleria. There's not even you've got a friend in the diamond business, George Thompson, in the desert. So God is laying out to Moses, hey, I got this great idea for us. Why don't you guys go make me a bunch of stuff with gold and jewels and emeralds? Where, where were they going to get that gold? Where were, Remember, we talked about they were slaves. We did that recap. They were slaves in Egypt. They literally owned nothing. But they did have those part... You know how when you go on a game show and you get those parting gifts, Right? They did have those parting gifts on their way out, all this gold and silver. And so Moses, what he does is he explains to the children of Israel um, what they're supposed to do for God, how they can uh, make these instruments of, of worship and everything, and he proposes this is God's idea, but... Moses relays it. He proposes a free will offering in which whoever wanted to, their family could bring some gold, some silver, some jewels from the stash that they had gotten on their way out. Now, not every nobody was required to do this. This is why it was called a free will offering. But listen to this: their hearts were so stirred, they were so grateful that they were actually free for the first time in centuries. They were so in love with what God had done and who God was that not only did Israel begin bringing enough gold for their tabernacle, they kept on bringing it and bringing it and bringing it. They brought so much that if you read it in Exodus 36, it tells us. He, Moses had to literally restrain the people from bringing any more offering. Wouldn't that be a good problem for our pastor to have? I'm sorry, we're not taking an offering today or ever again. For, wouldn't it be great for the people of God who were once slaves but are now free, who once had nothing but now in Christ have access to every spiritual blessing in heavenly places... That they don't even, we don't even wait for the offering plate. That we, we overwhelm our churches with free will offerings of financial and physical support. Listen, if you want to truly know if God has done a work in your heart, all you have to do is check your bank account. Come on here, man. I know it. I knew you would get it. I knew you would get it. Everybody else is kind of shifting in their seats a little bit. Here he goes talking about tithing and stuff again. Every time that guy gets a mic, he starts talking about tithing. No, listen, someone famous once said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. For those of you that are new, that famous person, is just a Jewish carpenter about 2,000 years ago. Anyways, if your bank account is full of Starbucks and Netflix charges for me, it's 7-Eleven and Jersey Mike's. Pretty soon it'll be Chick-fil-A and Cracker Barrel, all right? (laughs) I'm not gonna lie, right? Every Sunday, Cracker Barrel, I'll meet you there. If it's full of that, but you don't see any withdrawals to your local church to support the, God, the work that God is doing, then I challenge you to get alone with God and ask him if you're truly free in every area of your life. If you truly trust Jesus as your Lord, Savior, and provider. And listen, it's not about needing money. God doesn't need money. This church is gonna survive without your money. Jesus didn't need money. Jesus could go catch a fish and get money out of the mouth of the fish. Jesus let a woman break open an expensive bottle of perfume all over the place to worship him. He didn't need the money. Jesus had a thief in charge of his money. He didn't need the money. He needs the hearts. And Romans 8 tells us, and I won't go to, I'm not going to segue here. Romans 8 tells us that the spirit of fear is akin to the spirit. related to a spirit of slavery. So if you're fearful that God's not gonna come through for you and it's not gonna provide for you, so that's making you withhold some giving, withhold your finances, withhold you being generous, I would challenge you to ask you, uh, are you truly free? Because he that is free is free indeed, without strings attached. So just get alone. I'm not gonna have you do it today. We already took the offering. We're not gonna do it again, right? We're not taking the offering again, but just get alone with God and ask him, am I truly free or do I have a spirit of slavery, a spirit of fear in my financial realm? because Israel, they were free. They were excited about what God was doing. They're no longer in chains, we sang it this morning, no longer in bondage, they have this wonderful opportunity to partner with God in the building of a tabernacle. Now now think about it, they had grown up right in Egypt, all of them, all they ever knew was Egypt, all their parents knew was Egypt, all their great grandparents knew was Egypt. They're surrounded by all this, what do you know about Egypt? What kind of worship did they do? It's pagan, right? idol worship, false gods, temples to actual demonic deities. And now Israel has a chance to worship the one true God. They're not gonna blow up by being stingy, no way. Now this is a place where we get introduced. They have all this gold, all this stuff. Now what do they do with it? This is where we find Bezalel. By the way, that's the articles I was supposed to show you. Here's the scripture I wanna get to. And I'll read it. Moses said to the children of Israel, in Exodus 35, Exodus is the second book of the Bible. See, the Lord has called by name Bezalel. And he has filled him with the spirit of God in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design artistic works, to work in gold and silver and bronze, and cutting jewels for setting in carving wood and to work in all manner of artistic workmanship. And he has put in his heart the ability to teach. So, Let's look at Bezalel. He gets to make these articles of worship for God. Cush job, right? Who wouldn't want to make golden things for for a holy God? But but listen, don't forget, all the children of Israel had just left Egypt. What did did we say they were in Egypt? Slaves. Slaves. They didn't own businesses. They They didn't own property. They didn't get days off. They didn't get vacation time. They didn't get sick pay. That's why God instructed them to ask for the gold and silver from the Egyptians before they left. They literally had nothing. It was back wages, if you will. They were all slaves. Aaron, Moses' brother, was a slave. Miriam, Moses' sister, was a slave. Joshua was a slave. Caleb was a slave. Bezalel was a slave. Now, now, why is that significant? After all, God has handpicked him and filled him with wisdom. He's called him here. At scripture, he's called a skilled worker. But let me ask you this: Where did he learn that skill? Did it just magically appear in his mind one day? Did he just roll out of bed? How many of you have liked to have done that in your life—just roll out of bed right before a test, not have studied, <laughs> or a project is due at work? No, I didn't put any effort into it. I just, I just showed up and everything. Or into a sermon, I just got up here and just started babbling. People were blessed. I know it. Right? Or, stay with me, did he learn it while he was a slave? Did he learn it out of the spotlight? Did he learn the skill from the sidelines? Just think about Bezalel. Day after day, Learning his skill as a slave, an artisan that specialized in gold, which means that most likely, let's be honest, he was producing works of art for the upper echelon of Egyptian society nobles, princes, pharaohs. He probably even had to produce some items for temples of false gods, don't you think? Isn't that logical? That a slave in a pagan society, that Bezalel had to repeatedly produce items that actually would make him sick to his stomach if he thought about it? But he was a slave. What? could he do here's what he could do and and what we know he must have done he learned a few things sure he might have dreamt about freedom and what it would be like not to be a slave not to be stuck on the sidelines but for now he had to learn a few things so here are a few things that i believe he learned from the sidelines why you strain might seem pointless Come on, turn to somebody, tell them, why you strain might seem pointless. And it didn't sound like you believe that, though. Can you do it a little bit more convincingly? Why you strain might feel pointless. See, watching from the sidelines while in Egypt, dreaming from the sidelines, going to work day after day, no rest, no Sabbath, no vacation, Bezalel experienced a valuable lesson that while you strain, it might actually seem pointless. Here he was, busting his tail, toiling day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year, the best in his field. What does he have to show for it? Nothing. He makes priceless works of art, adorned with jewels and gold for godless pagans. He doesn't even get to keep his work. He doesn't get compensated for his work. He doesn't get appreciated or recognized. There was no employee of the month, no slave of the month award that he could even take home. No sooner is he finished with one masterpiece than he's back making another one. It it, it had to have been discouraging. It had to have been gut-wrenching, feeling like he has this marvelous gift and no outlet, no true higher calling for it. But Bezalel, he keeps going. Maybe he's even telling himself, my strain is not in vain. My strain is not in vain. Why I strain might look pointless, but my strain is not in vain. He also had to learn this, lesson number two, that where you train might look forgotten. Where you train might look forgotten. Come on, turn to that neighbor. They're getting sick of you at this point. Where you train might look forgotten no offense, I'd rather be sick of you than sick of me, so we're going to probably do it again. But can you imagine how many times he showed up to work, sick to his stomach about what he had to do? Not, not so upset about the act of actually doing it. Clearly, he was good at it, and he, he enjoyed it. We'll find that out. But sick about the recipient of all his skill and his hard work. Here he was making all these fine things, but God was not getting the glory in any of it. In fact, it, It felt like just the opposite. The gold, uh, idols, and artifacts of worship to man-made gods must have caused such a conflict in Bezalel's spirit that it would have been natural for him to wonder, has God forgotten about me? Why am I stuck here? Why am I going through all of this right now? It's not fair. I'm working this hard for something that doesn't even seem to matter. It sure feels like God has forgotten me. I I look around, and my family, we're all slaves. We can't worship God the way we want. We're mistreated. We're abused. We're killed. Our baby boys are slaughtered. God, if you're up there, you're doing a lousy job proving you exist. You're especially doing a lousy job proving that you matter and that I matter to you. It would have been natural for him to experience this, but he had to learn that where you train might Look forgotten. So think about him. Think about Bezalel when he was a slave. He's working. He's watching. He's growing from the sidelines. He's learning something, a trade, a craft, a skill from the sidelines. He's getting better and better. Nobody else knows it, but he knows it. He's getting better and he's growing in this ability from the sidelines. He was experiencing some valuable lessons. Why you strain might seem pointless. Where you train might feel forgotten, but he kept going and he kept growing. He kept learning. He kept getting better. He kept putting in the time. He kept putting in the work, he kept being excellent until one night in Egypt he goes to bed a slave for the last time. He goes to bed a slave that night. The next night he goes to bed a free man. And don't don't you know that once he was free, God calls on him, as we read in, in Exodus, God calls on him, and he's, he's actually in a couple chapters in Exodus, but God calls on him to do something valuable, something that mattered, something that only he could do, that what he had learned had not been pointless. God had a purpose all along, and not only does God call on him, listen to this, God calls him by name. In fact, In fact, I got to turn back to that scripture because I love it so much, I just love it. God calls him by name. See, elsewhere in the Bible, we're told that God actually writes our names on the palm of his hand. I know some of you have tattoos in here and you can relate to what God was doing. He wanted to always think about you. And here's what he does for Bezalel. He was not for God and his training was not wasted. God had an appointed time and a place for his skills to be manifested, for his promotion. And no one, not even Bezalel, could have imagined what God had in store for him. Think about Bezalel, now surrounded by so much gold, so many jewels, and getting ready to work for the first time with items that did not belong to Egyptians. These were all for God. He had free reign. He had free, uh, he, whatever his imagination could come up with in order to make it as glorious for God after what God had told him to do, he, w- he could do. He didn't have to make an idol or something that held no value. He now got to create something for Yahweh, for the Lord of Lords, for the great I am, for the creator of the universe, for the alpha and the omega. It must have dawned on Bezalel that the third lesson he learned from the sideline was this, what you gain Will last forever. Why you strain might feel pointless. Where you train might look forgotten, but what you gain will last forever. He had acquired. Skill and insight that no one on earth possessed. He was handpicked by God for a work of eternal purpose. His strain had not been in vain. It had not been pointless. He had not been forgotten. And now all that he had gained through many dangers, toils, and snares, through sleepless nights and heartaches and blood, sweat, and tears, all that would be used to glorify his maker, to bring glory to his king. And some of us can relate to Bezalel. Yeah, we we might not have known the agony of physical slavery. But it does feel like we've been in seasons where we've been spinning our wheels. Like we're getting nowhere. That we'll never be where we want to be. Or we'll never be who we want to be. Or we'll never get to do what we want to do. What we do produce, we don't even get to enjoy. Maybe we're so overwhelmed by debt that our paycheck is spent before the direct deposit even hits. Any anybody I'm sure I'm sure this has not happening to any of you. Anybody ever check their ATM or their online bank account kind of like this? You know, just through through your fingers a little bit just kind of just kind of squinting or or like this with your fingers crossed hoping there's something in there. Maybe our marriage feels so hopeless that watching TV like The Bachelor, the train wrecks on The Bachelor, that doesn't even make us feel better anymore. Now we know who watches The Bachelor. (laughs) I think it comes on Wednesday nights. That's part of the Yeah, We we got to ask them to switch The Bachelor to another night so we can have. Maybe our dreams are so out of reach so far from reality that we should just give on up. We think we should just give up on them altogether. But if I've described you at all today, I want you to take a page out of Bezalel's book. It's also called The Bible. I want you to keep going don't give up on your dream don't give up on your job don't give up on your marriage don't give up on trying to get out of debt and be free financially and be a generous giver don't give up on believing that god has a plan for your life that jesus can redeem your situation that he will complete the good work that he started in you See, your strain is not in vain. Yes, it might hurt right now. It might be tough right now. It might seem pointless right now. But you're learning more right now than you could ever know. Every day that Bezalel showed up to work, he was one day closer to freedom. He didn't know it, but he was learning something from the sidelines. He was getting better from the sidelines. His day would come where his name would be called, and when that day came, he would be ready. And listen, the same is true for you as well. So don't you give up right now. You keep going. Your strain is not in vain. When you're watching from the sidelines and you're seeing others live out their dreams, heck, they might be living out your dream. It can be so painful that you begin to wonder if God is really for you after all. You might feel forgotten today. Maybe you've actually begun to wonder where you went wrong. Did you mishear God or were you a fool just to believe in him in the first place? In fact, some of you have experienced this and toy with the idea that maybe God can't be trusted. Maybe you've decided a life pursuing Jesus just isn't worth it after all. And look, I get it. A marriage on the rocks or career underachievements or disappointing relationships with our family can leave us feeling forgotten. We feel like we're working so hard and getting nowhere. One day just melts into the next with no break, no end in sight. We are watching life unfold from the sidelines, but God has not forgotten you. You are not out of sight, and you're not out of mind. You might think that your training is out of his sight, but he sees all that you are going through. You might think that your pain is out of his mind, but his thoughts towards you are of peace and to give you a future and a hope. See, what you are gaining from the sidelines will last forever, will have an impact, not just on your life, not just on the lives of those around you, but for generations to come. So don't you give up. Your strain is not in vain. You are learning something from the sidelines. You might have to learn that why you strain might feel pointless, and where you train might look forgotten. But I promise you'll learn this too, that what you gain will last forever. Amen? So, so there I was, there I was now, a high school senior, no longer part of the quad squad, no longer, get out of here, sitting on the bench, I didn't have to ask coach. You know that song? Put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. That was kind of the quad squads theme song. (laughs) Didn't have to do that anymore. Now we were seniors. We actually made a commitment as a quad squad to raise up the next generation of quad squads. Because we knew what it was like to have the starters beg for us not to come in. For them to steal our clothes while we were showering, you know, make us have to try to find them. And we said, we're not gonna be like that. And so we stayed late with the quad squad after practice and we worked with them. When we got tired or we had an injury, we'd come out. Sometimes, some of us would even fake an injury just so a quad squad guy could come in. See, Bezalel, one of the beautiful things about him was that he had in his heart, God had put in his heart, that it says here, that last verse, the ability to teach. Come on, when you've passed from slavery to freedom, God has put in your heart an ability to give, not just financially. I know I went on a, on a rant about that, but to give back to the next generation, to give back to those around you, to teach, to raise up others. And so, as we're sitting here today, and I'm looking ridiculous, I know, it's not the first time, and I'm, it might not be the last. might not be the last. <laughs> You're probably wondering, what are the next steps? What can I do? So, first thing, your next step is this. If you've not yet committed your life to Jesus... Your first and most important step of your life is to do that today, all right? For you to say, I get it. I get what I've gone through. I, I, I get what, where you've had me, and I want to get with you. I want to be closer to you. I want to give my life to you. I want to follow you, and I want to follow you every day of my life. I don't want to be scatterbrained. I don't want to do it here and stop and then try again. I need you, Jesus. So that's, that's step one. Hopefully, some of you will take that step today. Others of you, like Bezalel, God has put, he stirred something up with you, and an ability to teach, an ability to give back, an ability to serve. We've got some great servants in this church. Not just the people that you see up here, but behind the scenes. How many had some donuts when you walked in today? Hold on. All right. Or muffins, or granola bars like some of my buddies. Somebody set those out. You didn't see who did it. Or we have youth group and we need help with it. Approach somebody on leadership and say, hey, God's put it in my heart, the ability to do something around here. I want to pour into this church. I believe that what God is doing here. Come on. And lastly, I want us to stand if we can. And Chad, you can come up if you want. Yeah, you can play something. That's fine. If you feel like God has you on the sidelines right now, I, I just want to pray for you. I, first, let me take my headband off. I, I, just, I just want to pray. You know, I said earlier, someone who has not just been there and done that, someone who is there and is doing that, career wise you know the original part of this sermon I I was going to lay out my career and what I did in my 20s and my 30s and talk about the struggle but I really just wanted to get to Bezalel's story you know but some of you you're working your tails off you know we have single moms in here I don't know how you do it my gosh special grace for you You just wonder, is this struggle ever going to be worth it? Am I I ever going to see fruit from this? And you made a conscious decision to put one foot in front of another day after day. Not knowing where it's leading. Like Bezalel, going to sleep in one condition. Not knowing if the next day you'll wake up in the freedom that you've desired. So what I want to do today is I just want to pray. You can stay where you are. You can come up here. I, I, I don't, it doesn't matter to me. My eyes are closed. I'm going to pray for you wherever you are. But if that describes you in any, in any capacity, God, I, I get it. I have been struggling. I, I haven't been able to make sense of what you're doing. But I get it today that what you're working for me, as an exceedingly great reward that's eternal. I might not even get to see it in this lifetime, but I wanna trust you with everything that I have. I I wanna believe that you're not only good, you do good according to, to the psalmist. That what you're doing in my life, that even though I can't see it all, that there's some things behind the scenes that are happening outside of my view that are going to completely alter my destiny. That you can call me from the sidelines and in a moment's notice, all my dreams could be true. But even if that never happens, I know this isn't pointless and I know that I'm not forgotten. If that's you at all, I just want to pray. Heavenly Father, for any like-minded people, who've experienced that in their lives, God. Or maybe you're experiencing that season right now, whether it's in their marriage, it's in their career, their family life, they just don't know how much longer they can go, struggling to make ends meet, struggling to make sense of situations, struggling to put on a smile when their joy feels zapped. God, I pray for the strength of Bezalel over everybody that, that describes today. And I actually prophesy over each of you. And I declare that like Bezalel, you will get to do what you've been called to do. You will get to do what you've been called to do. In fact, in fact, some of you, that's, that's you. God, I don't believe that. I don't believe that. I'm telling you. You will get to do what you've been called to do. God is not gonna give up on you. God is not frustrated with you. God is not at its wit's end about where you are right now. Some of you, it's not even your fault. Bezalel didn't ask to be a slave. And some of you think, I deserve it. I'm reaping what i have sowed. And I break that lie off of you. You are not cursed. Jesus became cursed for you so that you could be free in him. going to know this truth today and that truth is going to set you free from that mindset you are going to get to do what you've been called to do your destiny today is being unlocked right now destiny in your career destiny in your marriage with your family life Heavenly Father, I pray that you would seal that. That why we strain will not be in vain. In fact, we find that if the Lord builds a house, unless the Lord builds a house, they that build it labor in vain. But (laughs) if it is the Lord building the house, come on. If it is the Lord building the house, and they that labor are not doing it in vain. So, in conclusion, Heavenly Father, we pray you would build this house. We pray that you would build not just this church and which the gates of hell cannot prevail, but you would build this house, this temple Whereas the dwelling of the Holy Spirit within us, build this house. house. And then our labor is not in vain. We We will do what you've called us to do if you will partner with us. So we give it to you right now in Jesus' name.